Learning to love our neighbors. Thursday, December 17th. Mr. Rogers once said that his signature question, Won't you be my neighbor? was an invitation to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. He said, Love is at the root of everything, love or the lack of it. In other words, our own experience of having been loved first or not determines our ability and capacity to love others. Indeed, being loved gives us a frame of reference to know what loving someone should even look like. In his book, Works of Love, Danish philosopher and poet Soren Kierkegaard writes, As the calm lake stems from the deep spring that no eye saw, so too a person's love has a still deeper ground in God's love. If there were no gushing spring at the bottom, if God were not love, then neither would there be the little lake nor either a person's love. End quote. In his first epistle, the Apostle John puts it even more simply, We love because he first loved us. But who are we supposed to love? And how much? And when? In Luke 10, a member of the local law enforcement starts asking Jesus questions like these, starting with, What must I do to inherit eternal life? In his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, Kenneth Bailey first points out this question's obvious flaw. Inheritance, by its very nature, is a gift from one family member or friend to another, not payment for services rendered. But the law expert is likely trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would look like a rejection of the law of Moses. So Jesus asks him how he understands the requirements of the law and lets him land on the first and second greatest commandments as an answer to his own question. Bailey argues that, When Jesus says, do this and you will live, he was basically saying, fine, go ahead and try to live up to your own advice. But then instead of admitting that no one will ever be able to perfectly love God and his neighbors, the law expert then attempts to reduce the magnitude of the command down to something more manageable, to something he could do, and which might make him feel like he was fulfilling the law's requirements. Verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This law expert was basically saying, I obviously can't be loving to everyone, so how can I make sure that I'm loving the people who actually count? And although he might have thought the question represented his own moral rigor, what it really reveals is a diabolical impulse to divide humanity into those who deserve love and those who do not. The implication is that there are some people who don't count, who we shouldn't spend our time trying to love. Our justification might be that the energy we spend on them wouldn't be repaid. Maybe we're less concerned about whether we are showing love and more concerned about accidentally communicating that we approve of their lifestyle. This was, of course, exactly why Samaritans were ostracized by the Jewish community. And yet Jesus makes a Samaritan the moral hero of his parable. He refuses to entertain the Pharisees' preferences and biases. He refuses to define neighbor as the one you already really like. Instead, he emphasizes what a gift it is to be on the receiving end of love when we really need it. 
And those of us who are in Christ have already been on the receiving end of that love. When we were dead in our sins, God made us alive with Christ. The part of the law expert's concern is valid. We don't have infinite emotional reserves, and we can't dish out love equally to everyone on our own. Along these lines, Kenneth Bailey continues, quote, Experience dictates that it is very hard to love the unlovely neighbor until the disciple's heart is filled with the love of God, which provides the energy and motivation necessary for the arduous task of loving the neighbor. If the one who serves is hoping to be sustained by the responses received, and if the expected responses are not forthcoming, that person may well give up in frustration and disappointment. But if costly acts of love are extended to others out of gratitude for the love of God, then the believer is sustained by the unwavering love of God toward him or her. End quote. So learning to love our neighbors starts with the gratitude for the love God has given us. Again, we love because he first loved us, even though our selfishness and sin had marred image of God within us. God saw through all of that, and he loved us. So the questions we're left to confront are these. Who are the people we don't want to call our neighbors? Who are the people we don't think deserve mercy? Who are the people we should think to be hung out to dry and left all alone to experience the consequences of their actions? Who are the have-nots of our society? Those made even more aware of their misery and lack by all the holiday cheer and festivities that they've been boxed out of. Jesus says, go and love them. Scripture meditation for today is Ephesians 5, 1-2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Action Steps Sometime today, or as soon as you're able, ask your family one of these questions. How does gratitude for God's love help us love others? When have you experienced profound love from someone? What's one thing our family could do to show love to someone? Prioritize this one. We'll say more about it tomorrow.